everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Dave Combs, who is a songwriter and author. He is known for his first song. It was uh, Rachel's song. He's a photographer, a publisher, and owner of Combs Music, which is an independent record company. Today we're going to just talk about his story and kind of where he came to be. Hey Dave, how are you? I'm wonderful, Alexa. How are you this morning? Good. Thank you so much for coming on. I was um, recently reading like, your bio and everything on your website, and I think you have such a cool story, and I love how Rachel's song came to be. Um, I think it's a beautiful story. And um, just tell us a little bit about you and like kind of how you got started. Well, I'm uh, an East Tennessee native. I was born and raised in the mountains of East Tennessee in a little town called Irwin, E-R-W-I-N, right between uh, Asheville, North Carolina and Johnson City, Tennessee in a beautiful valley. My parents both were musical. My mom and dad both played the piano. My father played, by, he played by ear. He didn't need music in front of him. He could just sit down and play just whatever he wow. heard in his head. And so I grew up uh, when people say, you know, when did you begin with your music? I'd say well, it was probably the time I popped out of the womb. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, in fact, I, yesterday was Mother's Day. And so I was born on Mother's Day in 1947 on a Sunday. And I always kidded my mom. I said, well, you know, you weren't a mother until I was born, you remember. <laughs> but anyway. You made it. I made it. So I was born into a musical family and my grandmother, my father's mother, she was a great musician. She was a tiny little lady. She was only four foot eight tall, born in 1894, and she could make some music. Now, back then, her favorite instrument was a pump organ. I don't know if you've ever seen a pump organ, but if you pump the bellows with your feet, which pushes air through the reeds, and then you play the organ. So it didn't need electricity. And then another instrument that she dearly loved to play, and I have it right here with me. This is her auto harp. I don't know if you've ever Aww. seen an auto harp, but it's an, inst an old instrument that Mother Maybelle Carter kind of made famous back in the day. And it's just a real simple stringed instrument. Really, anybody can play. Even if you're not musical, you just simply push one of the keys and strum it. It sounds wonderful. So I can hear my grandmother Combs, Granny Combs, as we called her. She, I'd, every time I'd go visit uh, Granny, she'd say, well, David, she, she called me David. She said, would you tune up my auto harp? So that was my first job. I would tune it up mm -hmm. for her. Then I would hand it to her. And I wish I had some of those record. I wish I had recordings of her sitting there playing her auto harp and, auto harp and singing those wonderful hymns that she loved to sing. So yes, I, I got my start in life around music big time, and it's been that way ever since, really, even though my career was a different path. I had a technical career. I was a computer programmer, technology expert. I worked for 22 and a half years for Western Electric, AT&T, and Lucent Technologies, and it's, it's, that was my main job until I was able to quit my job in 1992 to do my music full time. So there was an overlap period there of about uh, from 1981 when I wrote Rachel's song okay. to 1992. That's what, 11, 11 years that I did both. I worked at big corporation and did my music in the evenings and on weekends. But Rachel's song that uh, I wrote in January of 1981 
changed my life forever. And it was just a special song that when I wrote it, I sat down at the piano one evening like I normally did when I got home from work just to relax. I sat down and played this tune. And for those of in your, on your audience that are musicians that do write music, you'll, they will probably have similar experiences where you, a song just comes to you. You don't yeah. sit down to write a song. It's just, it just poof, there it is. And so I played this tune on the piano. Didn't even think about it being a, writing a song. And a couple of days later, my wife Linda comes home from work and she says, Dave, what is this tune that I've got stuck in my head all day long? You know how you get an earworm in there and yeah, you just yeah. can't, can't get rid of it. So she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what? <laughs> you play it on the piano all the time. I said, well, it's just something I made up. She got all excited and said, well, have you written it down? I said, well, no, I've, I've got it up here in my mind. It's not going anywhere. She said, no, well, something might happen to you, and I, I wouldn't remember that song, so you better write it down. So I did. Wrote it down, the notes, the melody, and the chords that went with it, stuck it in my piano bench. Well, that was in January of 1981. A couple of years later, some good friends of ours had a little baby girl named Rachel, and her parents asked Linda and me to be her godparents. Of course, we were delighted to do so, and at Rachel's christening service, Linda and I are sitting there in the church. It's just us and the family and the minister. And at the end of the formal christening service, I punched Linda. I said, you know, that piano I've been having my eye on, there was a grand piano sitting at the front of the church on the middle of the platform. I said, that piano has made me think I might could play that tune that we've been trying to think of a name for and couldn't ever come up with it. Maybe that would be now would be a good time. So I went up and asked the minister and the family if it'd be okay if I played a song on the piano. Right. They all sat that back down, and, and I went over to the piano and started playing. And I played the song just like I'd played it from the very first time, got most of the way through it, and I, and, and I start hearing this <clears throat> clearing throats in the audience and the <clears throat> sniffle, you know, Aww. people were, you know, it was very emotional. Well. If you've ever been, Alexa, to a baby's christening service, you know how precious and tender it is anyway. <laughs> well, you layer on top of that some beautiful music that just kind of tugs at your heartstrings. That's what happened. So at the end of the song, when I finished playing it, I looked up at little Rachel in the arms of her mother, and I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in her honor. And that is how the song got its name. It was the perfect fit from then on. It, it, it was just perfect. So that was in 1983. Yeah. Now roll, roll the calendar forward about three more years. Of course, I would play Rachel's song periodically in the, in, in the meantime. Yeah. And, and Linda says, you know, uh, on some of my travels, I was having to travel by 1986. I was doing a lot of traveling. For work. With, yeah. For work. And one of the places that I had to travel to and spend my I spent a whole week there, was Nashville, Tennessee. Well, if you've been to Nashville, you know that it's Music City, USA. It's everything there. Music is a wonderful town. I love Nashville. And so Linda says, well, while you're there in Nashville, let, why don't you find a, let's get a professional recording made of Rachel's song as a demo that we can have to keep and we can enjoy and the family can enjoy. I said, okay. So one evening after work, I get in my rental car and I head over to the part of Nashville called Music Square. If you've been there, that's where the Country Music Hall of Fame and 
ASCAP and BMI headquarters and the old RCA studio that you can tour and everything musical right there in about two square blocks. So I'm driving around looking for a studio. Now it's about six o'clock at night. Most everything looks like it's closed. You know, down south, we used to say they roll up the sidewalks at 530. <laughs> That used to be true, <laughs> pretty much literally. Not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. But, but anyway, I was looking for a studio, and I'm driving down this one little side street called Roy Acuff Place. Now, Roy Acuff was a famous Nashville country music, uh, just a, a legend in music in Nashville, and they named a street after him. Well, down at the end of Roy Acuff Place was a, a big building that had a, a barn-shaped roof to it, and out front was a, a literally a water wheel, you know, that you'd have in an old mill. So on the side of the building, the sign said the music mill. So I thought, well, how appropriate. So I pulled in the parking lot and sure enough, through the glass door, I could see there was a man sitting at a desk in the lobby. So, okay, I'm in, I'm in good luck. So I knock on the door and he comes, unlocks it and opens it. And he says, hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? Now, it's not the same George Clinton everybody's jumping their thoughts to. But this, George, <laughs> this George Clinton was a recording engineer in Nashville, Tennessee. Much loved. I later found out uh, when he passed away about two or, three, two or three years ago, they did a full page spread on George in the Nashville newspaper. That's how much loved he was. Now, I didn't know that. All I knew was this is a gentleman that opened the door. And I told him what I was looking for, a studio to record a demo of a song. And he said, well, come on in. And I stepped into the lobby and it was a big two-story lobby. And over here on the left wall was a life-size picture of Glenn Campbell. And then in, right in front of me was a great big picture, full-size, life-size picture of the group Alabama. Okay. And the Forrester sisters, and there was gold records and platinum records framed, you know, around the wall. And So had they like, all done it there? Yes, those they had all recorded in this studio that I had just walked into. Wow. And so and I, that's what my reaction to is. <laughs> wow. And so I told I said, George, I have never stepped foot in a studio before. So he's, he said, well, let me give you a tour of this studio. He said, there's just happens to be nobody recording right now. It was six o'clock in the evening. Normally there's recording sessions that begin at six o'clock. He said, nobody's here right now. Let's go over and I'll show you Studio A. Well, Studio A is, of course, the, the big showcase, the big studio. We go in this big room, and you could fit an orchestra in this room. And it was huge. It was like an auditorium. And the, you know, it was a nine-foot uh, concert grand piano over in the corner and you know, glass-lined room, isolation rooms, they call them, around the, the room. And, and then he said, let's go into the control room where all the magic happens. And so uh, he opens this big door. It's about that thick, soundproof door between the control room and the studio. Opens it up. We go in, and I, the first thing I notice is this huge console. It was, looked like it was about eight feet long, and it turns out it had about 32 tracks that it could keep track of, <laughs> literally keep track of, and with sliders and knobs and lights and switches and cables running everywhere and impressive and i told yeah. george i said wow this is amazing and around the wall were recording tape record, recording machines and in the front uh, mounted up on the wall beside the big glass window was speakers you know these monitor speakers where you could really hear the sound great 
I said, wow, this is uh, impressive. How much does a place like this cost to rent? He says it's $125 an hour plus engineer. Now, this was 1986. If you roll that to today's dollars, oh, gosh. That would, it would be about over $400 an hour to just to rent the studio. And so obviously that wasn't even close. I was, <laughs> I was making in the, you know, probably low double digits per hour. So it's, uh, it was expensive. And, but he right. said, he said, don't worry about it. He said, the, the man that owns this studio owns another one across the street. It's in a little house. It used to be a rent house, two bedroom house. And they converted it into a studio. It's got a baby grand piano and a, a, a small control room. He said, and it's $15 an hour plus engineer. Oh, that was my reaction too. Yeah, I can do that. Yes. So I said, okay. And so now I said, all I need is then a, a musician that will uh, play uh, my, my song for me, you know, do an arrangement of <laughs> Rachel's song. And he thought for a second, he said, I know just the person for you. He said, his name is Gary Prim. Gary and I have known each other forever. We go to church together. He's a wonderful, very well thought of session musician here in Nashville. He'll do a great job for you. He said, let's go back over to my desk and I'll look up his phone number. So we did. He wrote down the, Gary's phone number on a piece of paper and gave it to me. Well, I thanked him profusely and I went out the door and I hightailed it right back to my hotel room to call Gary Prim. Now, remember, this was before cell phones were invented. This is okay. before this is before the internet was even invented. <laughs> so I had to make a landline call to Gary. So I get in my hotel room, I call the number and I get his answering machine. I leave a message and in about 30 minutes, the phone rings. Hello, this is Gary Prim, can I help you? And I told him what I needed. I said, George Clinton says that you would do a great job with a demo recording of a little song I've written called Rachel's Song. He said, oh, I'd be glad to. He said, I said, well, what do you need to, to do this? And uh, he said, I just need two things. I need a rec recording of you playing it so I know kind of what it sounds like. I said, okay, mm -hmm. I can do that. And he said, I need a lead sheet. Uh, what's, and I said, what's a lead sheet? I didn't even know what a lead sheet was. He said, well, it's just the, it's just the melody and the chords written out on a piece of paper. I said, I've got that. I just didn't know to call it a lead sheet. So we're good. New. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I was learning the lingo of the music business in Nashville. So I get back home, mail Gary the lead sheet and the cassette tape recording of me playing the song. And in a couple of weeks, we meet in this tiny little studio across the street from the music mill. It was six o'clock in the evening on a Friday evening, August the 22nd, 1986. I remember that date and minute perfectly because that was one that changed my life. You know how you have those seminal events that just yes. you never, ever forget that moment. Well, Gary comes walking in the studio, uh, this house, uh, the studio, carrying his Yamaha DX7 synthesizer under his arm. And, and we meet and he's very friendly fellow, just instantly friend, you know, you just connect with him immediately. Yeah. So anyway, so he sets up his sets up the synthesizer on a, a place and then he sits down at the piano and he starts, you know, warming up on the piano. And I go into the control room where the engineer is. And in just a few minutes, he says, well, I'm ready, I think. And so the engineer says, I'm ready, too. So 
we pushed record and he said, we're rolling. <laughs> so, you know, they start the recording process and Gary starts playing my song. Now, remember, I have never heard my song played by anybody else but me in my life. And so I'm really blown away by what I'm hearing. And so he plays about, oh, maybe a third of the way through it and stops. He said, I, I, I can do better than that. So we rewind the tape and start over. This time, record it. He plays the whole song all the way through. Perfect. I mean, not one missed note, period. And I am just blown away by what I'm hearing. And if he had stopped right there and said, all right, I'm done, that's it, I would have been happy because it, it was a beautiful piano arrangement. And then he says, well, I'm not done yet. He said, I've got some other thoughts about how we can make this song really special. He said, I think that the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to add some electric piano sound to the real piano. You know, if you take them, he called yeah, it double. Yeah. He wanted to double it. So it, it would make the sound a richer, fuller sound. And so on about the, as the, the, the first chorus kicks in, he starts playing this electric piano part right along exactly with the, uh, the, the real piano part. And he had his head, headset on like you've got on there. <laughs> and so he's listening to the, the other piano part in his, in his headphones. And then he's playing on the synthesizer along with it. And he nailed the notes. Now, this is not played by what we call a click track. It wasn't a you know, very strict uh, rhythm. It was a flowing kind of a rhythm with the song as he felt it. But he nailed that feeling, even with the electric piano part, right with the, the real piano part. You couldn't tell them apart. And then when he got th through with that, he says, okay, this song needs some, some bottom and some top. And what he meant was some, some sounds. And he said, I'm going to take yeah. some low, low strings for the bottom and some high strings for the top. So got set up two more tracks to record. And he uses the synthesizer, switches to the string sound. And then he starts playing the low strings part. He plays that all the way through. And then two more tracks, he does the high strings part. And then right in the middle of the song, Gary did something in his arrangement that I had never done. And that is he instantly went from the key of C up to the key of C sharp, up a half a step, okay. which okay. in musical terms, it just really, it's, un, it's unexpected. I call it a musical surprise. And it just raises the level of energy of the song and, and your interest in the music just up a, a notch. And it really was very effective. So he did that and he said, I, need, I think I need some horns in there to kind of give this a little punch <laughs> there in the middle. <laughs> so so he, two more tracks and we do some electronic horn sounds. And he puts them in, in the right perfect place. And then when he gets all done with that, he comes into the control room and he said, let me listen to it. So we've listened to the whole thing mixed together. And he said, I, I like it. It's, it's, it's great. And I said, I don't just like it. I love oh, it. I love cannot it. believe what I'm hearing. So he's all done. I write him a check for the agreed upon fee and he packs up his synthesizer and leaves. And that was my meeting of Gary Prem. And at that point, I did not know whether I'd ever see Gary Prem again in my life or not. Turns right. out, turns out that he and I over the years would go back and record over 170 songs in the studio with 14 albums of music. And it's just he, I, 
he was a really, really young man at the time. I was, let's see, I was, let's see, 1986, I was, what, 39, somewhere around there, years mm -hmm. old, and, uh, 30, no, 36 years old. And uh, anyhow, whatever, however old I was, but Gary was in his late 20s. I mean, he was a really young man. <laughs> I, and he had just gotten married not too long before that. And so I, I, I was, over the years, he has become more like family than just a, a, a friend. And I watched his two kids grow up and go to college, and now they're working wonderful kids. And, and Gary and Julie are just dear, dear friends. But, uh, but that was how I got Rachel's song recorded. And that recording, I, did, I knew that it was special. And I kept, I, here were the thoughts that went through my mind standing there in the studio. I kept saying to myself, this is it. And I didn't know what it was. You know how you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where something so dramatic and so wonderful happened to you that it's just, you know, it's got to have a positive lifelong impact on you. And I just said, this is it. I, I don't know what it is, but this is it. And it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was really special. Well, I ended up playing that song, that recording, for anybody I could corner to hear it. I mean, I was so impressed. I, I was there in Nashville just with my coworkers. I played it for them in the rental car at lunchtime and break, and they all loved it too. And, and when I got back home to North Carolina, I played it for my wife, and she loved it too. So we, the, the song just was, it spoke to everybody in so yeah. special ways had a good friend who had a radio program on a, an FM station in Greensboro on Saturday morning. He was a big band jazz program guy. He would tell about a song and then play a big band jazz. Wonderful, wonderful music program. Well, Bob McCone is his name. And I was having lunch with Bob that week on something else. And then I told him about my story about Rachel's song recording. He said, I got to hear this. So, we go over to his office where he had a little boom box where he could play it. And so we put the cassette tape of Rachel's song in there and he plays Rachel's song. And I can still see my friend Bob sitting there in his office, just the two of us, and he's playing Rachel's song. And he's sitting there, you know how you're, when you really want to listen to something, you probably yeah. lean over and, and just kind of close your eyes and let the music soak in. And uh, so he was there and his eyes were closed. And as the song was playing, I kept hearing him say, Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you know that the universal approval sound you know no, yeah. no matter what language is mm, mm, mm. now that whether you whether you just took a bite of a good steak or whether you heard something wonderful but anyway he he was so moved he, he had tears in his eyes and he when it finished he looked up at me and he says dave this will be a standard or this is a standard and a musical standard and he said you have got to let me play this on my radio program and I said, well, of course, Bob, I'd be happy for you to do that. But all I have is this one reel-to-reel -reel master tape that's been made of it. And he said, well, let me borrow it from you, and I'll take good care of it. So he did. He took it to the radio station. They made a copy of it, and he played it on his radio program that next Saturday morning. And Linda and I were at home with the radio turned on, and I was recording it and all this. And we were excited. That's the first time I'd ever heard my music played on the radio. You know, right, how, besides <laughs> big, what you're listening to. Yeah, exactly. So it's a big deal. So he, he introduces the song, and he plays Rachel's song. And or Linda and I are just so excited that this has happened. And then shortly, the phone rings. And it's the station manager for the radio station, WKLM. 
And he says, Dave, he said, I'm the manager here at this radio station. I've been in radio for over 20 years, and I have never had this happen to me before. He said, when Bob played Rachel's song on the radio this morning, he said, our telephone bank lit up. You know, we have lots of phone lines, like a dozen phone lines. He said, yeah, every yeah. one of them lit up. He said, everybody wanted to know what in the world is that song you just played? What is the name of that? Would you play it again and tell me more about this Combs guy in Winston-Salem? And he said, y you've got something, boy. He said, this is really special. So I thought, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So then it just was another confirmation that what I had was really, really special. So then I knew I had to get this song played on every radio station in the country that I could find. So I did. I got busy. I found the phone numbers and names of all 400 radio stations that were what we call easy listening instrumental radio mm -hmm. stations. We don't have very many now left that the world has kind of shifted away from that. But back then we had about 400 of them around the country. I called and contacted all of those or started contacting all of them. And they all, I would send them Rachel's song. They played it. They loved it. And I found out that some of them had their music programmed for them by a company called Bonneville Broadcasting out of Chicago. And so I contacted the program director at uh, Bonneville Broadcasting that did Easy Listening Stations, and he loved Rachel's song. He put it on all of the stations that they programmed, and it was like over 200 of them. So I went from just a handful of stations to over. overnight to 200 radio stations, and eventually to every Easy Listening Station in the entire country. Rachel's song was the number one instrumental song in the big markets like Los Angeles, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., all these big places. It became the number one requested instrumental song. And so that was a really big deal as well. And, it, you know, I, I was really not too surprised because of the, the impact I had already, the feedback I'd already right. seen. You had already seen it all. I'd, I'd seen that happen. I knew it had that kind of an appeal. And so I, I hope that your listeners now are not bailing out of the podcast to go, oh, I've got to go listen to this Rachel's. Now just wait till this thing is over and then you can have time to go listen to Rachel's song. Just be patient here. So anyhow, so that was uh, how it got played on the radio. And then I started getting mail. People would write to me. And I got letters from people all over the country about Rachel's song. And eventually I sold, got, I made CDs of Rachel's song when I let, wrote some more uh, music in addition to Rachel's song. I got it, my right. first album. That was in 1988. And I sold it through gift shops all around the country. I had over a mm -hmm. thousand gift shops that, that played and sold my, my music. And I've gotten some wonderful feedback letters. Now, I know one of the things that you like to talk about is how to how music and various things can help help you heal and get give you some peace and relief from pain and suffering and any kind of anguish that you might have. Now, yeah, in chap yeah. chapter 21 of my book, Touched by the Music, I have excerpted about 22 pages of these wonderful notes and letters that I got from people all over the country. Now, I've got over 50,000 letters, five with four zeros after it. Letters from people, boxes full of letters. And so I took some of those special letters and put them in my book on chapter 21. And I would like to read just a, a, a few. I think Go they will really it. be. It's uh, 
Uh, this one says, Rachel's song is one of the most exquisitely touching pieces of music I've ever heard. Thank you for making it available. I am a psychotherapist, and I work a lot with wounded souls and broken hearts. Rachel's song helps me stay present and in touch while creating a safe and nurturing space for whatever needs to happen for my clients. Rachel's song is played, enjoyed, and savored daily. It feeds my own soul, and I am most grateful. Blessings. That was one. And let's see here. I've got another one here that I thought was very appropriate for today. This is from Carol. She says, I just wanted to say thank you for the beautiful music you've brought into my, our home. My children and I have been through a horrible crisis. And so many days and nights, your music has brought peace and relaxation into our minds and hearts. We have a lot of classical piano music, but yours is anointed with a gift that doesn't come from human abilities. Thank you for being an inspiration to my 11-year-old son in his piano practicing as well. I thought that was a really special one. And here's one. And here's one from Catherine. She says, I found your Rachel song several years ago in California, and I fell in love with the music. It seems to comfort me at a time when I was still grieving over the sudden death of my young son in an automobile accident. I'm still grieving, but it is easier. I've acquired all of your releases since then, but Rachel's song remains my favorite. Your music seems to touch my inner soul and helps me feel closer to my son. Isn't that special? Yeah, that's amazing. And then there's one more here. This is from Diana. It says, I want you to know something. I am very grateful for the gift of life that you are giving. In the winter of 1991, I had a nervous breakdown, which was diagnosed as severe depression. Thank God I found a good doctor, but the long road back has been a daily struggle. Please smile today as I tell you, your music, Rachel's song and springtime reflections has indeed been a part of my recovery. You made me smile. Isn't that sweet? And then one last one is from Melly. I've always loved my Rachel's song, but now more than ever. In March of last year, my wonderful husband had a massive stroke. He is paralyzed and wheelchair bound, a resident of a nearby nursing home. After 47 years of marriage, I am once again alone. If it were not for beautiful music, I could not go on. When I feel myself sliding into the dumps, I immediately put on Rachel's song and it lifts me both emotionally and spiritually. Your music is so very beautiful. Rachel's song is my very, very favorite. And now that I am finally beginning to adjust to my situation, I will begin to add to my collection and fill my empty house with your wonderful music. So those are just a few that I've selected for today because I think they're very appropriate for the your program and your podcast. And Yeah, no, music is such a healing tool and you wouldn't even realize sometimes. Yes. Rachel so I, must be so, like, she's probably floored. Like, this is all because of, not because of her, but like the song, like, it's her name and yeah, when she was a little girl, she would <laughs> they put their music on and she would say, my song, my song. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just so cool. Yeah. And I love your story. And so when if you like search Rachel's song, I've seen other like artists 
is that all based on your music or is that just something completely different? There are lots of other Rachel's. I think Vangelis has a song called Rachel's Song, but those are, it's a different tune all, okay. all together. Now there are, I'm amazed at how many little girls and, and women are named Rachel. It's a beautiful name. And so yeah, there are a lot yeah. of Rachel's. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mind whether somebody thinks it's their song or not. Sure, they can think it's their song. <laughs> right, it makes it even more special. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And before I let you go, I just want to play a quick game with you. Sure. And then I want to, you can let us know where we can find the music and your book and everything. Okay. So first question, uh, drink of choice. I'm from North Carolina. Well, I'm from North Carolina. We have a a resident uh, drink in North Carolina called Cheerwine. It's made, it started here in North Carolina. It's Cheerwine, C-H-E-E-R-W-I-N-E. It's a soft drink that's cherry flavored. Uh, it's like a cherry flavored uh, Dr. Pepper or whatever, but it's a it's a delicious soft drink. Cheer wine. Very cool. Um, favorite movie, TV show, or both? Oh, my favorite movie. Uh, it still makes me cry when I watch it, and that is The Sound of Music. Oh. I don't remember the first time you ever saw that movie, but it's it's if you love music and you yeah. you and you go out of that movie with with a dry eye, you're something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> It is a very special movie and just the sound of me. And even the title is just so appropriate, but I love the sound of music. I love the music too and the story of it. Yes. Um, what is advice to give your younger self? Oh, my, my, my advice to give my younger self, I would think probably, now this is a wishful thought. I wish that I had been told that I could write some music earlier in my life. I was 33 years old when I wrote Rachel's song. Now I had been a choir director in my home church, my last two years of college and my first two years of work uh, career, a part-time church uh, choir director and involved in music all those years. But nobody had ever told me, Dave, you can write music. You can write a song or you should try to write a song. Nobody ever said that. Now I, I wish that I had, had someone told, tell me that, that perhaps maybe I could have started writing music much, much earlier. But it didn't happen that way, but I'm just happy that it did, you know, some 41 years ago. Yeah. Well, now you can tell other people that. <laughs> I, that's And that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm, a lot of these yeah, podcasts, yeah. I'm in trying to encourage people to take your gifts, discover your gifts, and and explore them and share their share your gifts. And one of the things to, to do as an entrepreneur or a, 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 a person with your gifts, take action. Don't just sit on it and think about it. Take some action. Whether you want to start a podcast like you did, you did it. You took action and you did it. Right. Now, what if you'd have thought about it for 10 years? You know, nothing would have ever happened. So right. take your gifts and, and do take some action and do something with them. That's great. Um, five words to describe yourself. Uh, curious. Um, I am um, enterprising. Uh, I am energetic in terms of I love sports. Um, I am very fortunate that I married my wife, Linda. We've been married coming up next month for 52 years. Wow, this, this congratulations. Time, wow, this time 51 years ago, we were getting ready for a big wedding. And let's see, what else? I'm down, that's four, I guess. I um, think 
Um, I think most people would say that I have a gift of writing music and, yes. and creating music. And the last one is, what does success mean to you? To me, success now that I'm, I'll be 76, 75 years old next, uh, next, what is today? The night, two days from now on oh, the 11th. Happy birthday. I'm almost, I'm almost, I'm still 74, but <laughs> I'll be 75. And, um, and tell me the, the question again was, what does success mean to you? What does success mean? Well, to me, it means sharing my music and blessing it the most number of people with it possible. It does not mean it is not a monetary number. It is not a, uh, a, a it's not fame or fortune. Mm -hmm. It is really to me is to be able to share my music with millions more. Now, millions of people have already heard Rachel's song and my music through, thank goodness, through the internet and streaming and downloading and all mm -hmm. that. We're very blessed to have that. But there are millions or billions of people who have not heard my music yet. And so my success would be to have more and more people by the millions here and be blessed by my music. That would be success to me. Well, I hope that continues to happen. Um, where can we find your music, your book, whatever you want to let us know? Well, I've, I've made it very simple for everybody. I have a website that is simply my last name, C-O-M-B-S, Combs, combsmusic.com and when you go to my home page on uh, combs music you'll see two things on the page you will see on the left hand side if you're on watching this on video you'll see my, my book cover is on the left side of the screen and on the right side of the screen is my cd of rachel's song and underneath each of those is a link that you can click on if you want to buy the book you can click on the link and it will take you straight to the Amazon page for my book, where you can buy either a paperback, a, a Kindle ebook, or an Audible book. If you're a member of Audible, you can listen to me read my own book for eight hours, <laughs> and uh, that's all on Amazon. And on the right side of the screen is Rachel's song, the CD cover, and underneath it is a link again to Amazon, where you can go and buy the CD. You can download the the songs, the whole album or individual songs. Or if you're uh, an Amazon music su subscriber, you can stream the music. And my music is available for streaming almost in almost all the streaming platforms like Pandora and Spotify and iHeartRadio, all of these places. But uh, go to combsmusic.com and in the middle of the screen, I know we've talked, now that you've heard me describe that recording session, I want you to know that in the middle of the screen, there's this link that says play Rachel's song. And that will play for you the real, the actual high fidelity MP3 file of the, the song Rachel's song. And what you're hearing is that original demo recording that I heard for the first time in 1986. It has not been remastered, remixed, anything. That is that demo recording. And so I, now that I've told you all those steps we went through in recording it, now when you're listening to it, you say, oh, I hear that electric piano kick in there. Yeah. Oh, I, I hear the horns part. Oh, here's the low strings and the high strings. And oh, here comes that keychain. Boom, there it is. And so now you will appreciate it like I did sitting in that studio. And I hope you enjoy listening to it over and over and over. Well, thank you. And I will have all that in the description below. 
Um, this was another episode of Hey Alexa, and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.